0: Welcome to the Reality Revolution. Today, we're going to talk about power. The power shift. I'm talking about a new paradigm, the new earth that we are entering into. Power, like life, is subtle enough for us to easily miss its meaning. At first glance, power is just the equivalent of strength and in the popular mind they are understood that way yet true power has more in common with will power according to Charles Fillmore is our innate control over our thoughts and feelings this would link power to faith the perceiving power yet power itself is the distinct ability to choose whether we stay with the perception or allow that thought to enter the gateway of our consciousness in new thought the power of the word, whether thought or spoken, is considered the basis for all co-creation with God. So the power to choose our thoughts, to will our thoughts and feelings, is absolutely vital. It is how we choose our own reality. It is how we choose, finally, to become completely whole and one with the Creator. Philip is the disciple who represents power. The name Philip means lover of horses which metaphysically means the master of the vital forces for power to become master however it needs the power of will and like will the other powers as well particularly wisdom love and understanding just think about power for a second that word power what image does that word evoke for you For me, a variety of images come to mind Mostly images of nature As a child, I would watch the summer thunderstorms roll across the western plains I was awestruck by the presence of the breathtaking power that danced before my eyes and thundered in my ears As a young adult, I visited Niagara Falls for the first time standing only a few yards from this colossal waterfall. I could feel the earth vibrating beneath my feet, and I could feel the electric charge in the air as it tingled in my skin. I was nearly mesmerized by the roar of more than a million gallons of water a second cascading into an enormous gorge 165 feet below. Years before, I had seen the evidence of the potentially destructive power of nature. When I had a tornado visit my neighborhood, that just ravaged everything. I remember staring incredulously at the display of leveled homes, overturned vehicles, and uprooted trees. I saw something that I wouldn't believe if I hadn't seen it myself. A dozen stalks of straw embedded in a tree trunk as if someone had fired them from a gun. Nature has presented me with some vivid images of her stunning power. Not everyone would associate images of nature with the word power. You might have different associations with this word. Depending upon your personal history, a military person sees images of massive armies and powerful weapons. A historian recalls a powerful historical figure or a mighty civilization from the past. A business person imagines controlling a vast business enterprise involving thousands of people and many millions of dollars. The word power may mean many different things to many different people. There are many negative uses of power. To some people, the word power may conjure up negative or painful feelings. Many of us have memories of being hurt by someone who had power over us. Perhaps the injury was not even intentional, yet the memories are still painful. Oppressive political or economic systems have hurt many people. Religious institutions and religious leaders have been perpetrators of the misuse of power. Some of us were hurt by our own parents. Many of us have been victimized by the abuse of power. All too often we hear about the negative uses of power. History is replete with stories of individuals, institutions, and nations tyrannizing the populace. Hitler, Stalin, Mao Zedong, Napoleon, Julius Caesar, Genghis Khan are just a few examples of individuals whose use of power has caused great suffering for many people. As a child growing up, I recall as some of my earliest memories seeing photos and videos of the mushroom cloud formed by the atom bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. I also remember seeing photographs and news clips of the horrors of Nazi concentration camps. Although I was too young to comprehend the meaning of these images, they were nonetheless burned deep into my psyche from a very early age. I did not understand why people did such things to one another. Many, many years later, when I first saw those images, to now, I still do not understand. Humankind's misuse of power has caused great suffering, as we learned from Spider-Man. With great power comes great responsibility. As you will notice in mainstream media, there are many stories dedicated to power, its abuse, and all of the things around it, and more and more It appears that it's always true that absolute power corrupts absolutely. Humankind's misuse of power has caused great suffering. The continued abuse of power threatens the end of human life, and perhaps all life on this planet. In fact, we learn from the Law of One that there are other planets in our solar system that have been destroyed with the abuse of power. Not only humans, but all living species on our planet have suffered from our abuse of power. This short-sightedness has caused the extinction of many species of plants and animals and seriously disrupts the ecology of the earth itself. Our use of power must undergo a radical shift if we are to survive the new earth. We are understanding power. Oftentimes I have said on the podcast that this third density illusion is about learning lessons of love. Love and power are on the same hand and we're also learning lessons of power because love brings power and power can also bring love. I learned something in college when I was in debate in studying different countries, societies historically and their use of power and that is crisis precedes transformation this radical shift is not only necessary for our survival but it may also be an evolutionary imperative a necessary step in the development of our species throughout the history of life on this planet including human history, we see an important principle at work. A crisis always precedes a transformation, as Barbara Marks Hubbard writes in The Evolutionary Journey. Crisis precedes transformation before every quantum change. Problems emerge, limits to growth, stagnation, unmanageable complexity, impending catastrophes, disintegration. From the perspective of the present, the crises look like mistakes, deadly errors in the system, but from the perspective. After the quantum transformation, these problems are seen to be evolutionary drivers, vital stimulants which trigger astounding design innovations. At the time of the crisis, we are usually enmeshed in the belief that something is wrong. Only with the perspective of time, Often many years do we see the crisis in a different context, a birthing of something radically new. Pierre Teilhard de Chardin was another visionary who saw our present crisis as part of an evolutionary imperative. A Jesuit priest and a renowned paleontologist, Teilhard formulated a view of the physical universe as a dynamic manifestation of ever-evolving consciousness. We previously discussed tailhard in her episode on ai in this system that tailhard discusses humanity as a species is an essential link in the progressive unfoldment of consciousness from the most primal substance of the universe to the culmination of all evolution which tailhard referred to as the omega point conscious oneness with god evolution according to tailhard occurs in stages The development of conscious occurs within each stage according to a pattern of increasing complexity. This complexity is also the same term for density. When a certain threshold of complexity is reached, a convergence takes place, a critical point at which evolution can make a quantum leap into an entirely new level of consciousness. Teilhard recognized the period immediately before the quantum leap as being very critical, a time of great crisis. In the Chinese language, the word for crisis is formed by a combination of two other words, one meaning danger, the other opportunity. The Chinese long ago recognized a crisis as a dangerous opportunity. The English word crisis is derived from a Greek word meaning to decide, and one of the dictionary definitions of crisis is a crucial turning point. Indeed, we are at a point of decision, a turning point, a crisis. So the bad news may be good news after all. Our corruption of power may simply be a sign of our evolutionary immaturity. Our awareness of the grave danger facing us may be a sign that it is time for us, as a species, to grow up. As children, we could perhaps afford to be self-centered and short-sighted. As adults, we cannot we may finally be seeing that continued immaturity may lead to self-destruction. To avoid self-destruction, we must learn to use our power wisely to help us envision the right use of power in the next century and the next millennium. Let us briefly look at the past millennium and examine the ways in which we experienced our power at that stage of evolution. In the 10th century CE, most of Europe was dominated by the Christian church. The vast majority of individuals lived with very little sense of personal power. For the average man, it would seem that the king owned his body and the church owned his soul. His life and fate were determined almost completely by the land barons, the aristocracy, and the church hierarchy. Women and children had even less power, for they were considered little more than the property of their husbands or fathers. Most people's belief systems and senses of values were dictated almost exclusively by the church and its officials. Humankind's relationship with God was that of a helpless child at the mercy of an omnipotent and often angry God. Virtually all power, spiritual, political, and economic, was highly concentrated within the hands of a few elite individuals. It would appear that the average person felt quite powerless, a victim of the world and the universe in which We lived. About five centuries later, approximately halfway through the last millennium, a radical shift began to occur. A rebirth, a renaissance began to take place within the Western world. The Reformation would soon occur within the Christian church, the scientific revolution was about to emerge. An age of enlightenment would follow. Suddenly it would seem humankind was beginning to find a new vision of itself, and a new sense of its own power, no longer a victim of forces beyond its control, no longer in servitude to political or spiritual overlords. Humanity began to awaken to its powers of reason. I think, therefore I am. These words written by The French mathematician René Descartes underscored the emphasis on the power of reason and inquiry, not simply revelation as a source of truth. God began to take a backseat to reason. With each passing century, God's importance in human life would seem to shrink to near-nothingness. Perhaps the young and brilliant Pico dea Mirandola best summed up the new spirit of optimism and the new vision of humanity's potential— The following words spoken in 1486 by the 23-year-old scholar reflect this new vision of the creation of humankind and of its place in the universe. These words are spoken as if the gods were speaking to a newly created humanity. Neither an established place nor a form belonging to you alone nor any special function have we given to you, O Adam, and for this reason that you may have and possess according to your desire and judgment whatever place whatever form, and whatever functions you shall desire. The nature of other creatures which has been determined is confined within the bounds prescribed by us. You who are confined by no limits shall determine for yourself, your own nature, in accordance with your own free will in whose hand I have placed you. Within three decades after Pico's oration, Columbus would discover the new world— Copernicus would make the first astronomical observation and outline his heliocentric theory of the solar system. Leonardo da Vinci would paint the Last Supper. Erasmus would translate the New Testament into Latin. Michelangelo would complete his famous painting in the Sistine Chapel. And Martin Luther would post his 95 theses on the church door at Wittenberg, thus beginning the Protestant Reformation. Clearly, Western humanity was throwing off the shackles of victim consciousness and declaring itself through the power of reason and scientific inquiry a victor over the forces of nature and the circumstances of its birth. This attitude of victor has remained with us for several hundred years. Moving from the victim to victor seemingly has served us well. One simply has to look at the progress we have made in the last five centuries, We have created a mighty civilization that rests largely upon the foundation of science and reason and upon the attitude that we are to be victors, not victims of life. With this new identity of victor, we have used our power to affect changes in our environment and in our lifestyle. Through the power of technology, we have radically altered the world around us and we have changed the life of virtually every human being on earth. Through the power of the written and the spoken word, we have influenced the minds In the hearts of countless numbers of people, through political and military power, we have altered the lives of millions of people, sometimes in rather horrific ways. We have become extremely adept at understanding and changing the world around us, but have been woefully inept at understanding and changing ourselves. We have mastered nature and mastered nations, but we have failed miserably at mastering our consciousness. Albert Einstein once observed, The unleashed power of the atom has changed everything, save our modes of thinking, and we thus drift toward unparalleled catastrophes. We have unleashed the forces of nature, but remain ignorant of our own nature. It's not just the power of the atom bomb which threatens us, but it is our ignorance of ourselves which puts us in real danger until we place as much value on understanding and controlling our consciousness as we have placed on understanding and controlling the world around us we will continue to inflict suffering on all living creatures as we approach the beginning of the new earth we can see the limitations of this victor viewpoint we've conquered nature at the price of alienating ourselves from it We have conquered land and sea and air and space at the price of alienating ourselves from one another. We have reasoned our way into total self-alienation. We have conquered everything except ourselves. Until we learn to control ourselves, we cannot safely control the forces of nature. Until we have gained self-knowledge, we will never truly understand nature. The greatest power we have is the power to understand and control ourselves this is not a new thought spiritual teachers have taught this for many centuries more than 2500 years ago buddha spoke these words to his disciples if one man conquers in battle a thousand times a thousand men and if another conquers himself he is the greatest of conquerors One's own self conquered is better than all other people conquered. Not even a god could change into defeat the victory of a man who has vanquished himself. How does one conquer one's own self? The Buddha developed an elaborate system of instruction that answers this very question. The heart of his teaching is this the cause of suffering is egocentric desire, and the overcoming of suffering lies in recognizing and dissolving egocentric desire 500 years after the time of the buddha jesus of nazareth spoke these words he who finds his life will lose it and he who loses his life for my sake will find it matthew ten thirty nine. jesus embodied this very teaching in his own life he told his disciples the words that i say to you i do not speak on my own authority but the father who dwells in me does his works. John 14.10 About 25 years later, the Apostle Paul wrote these words, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. All great spiritual teachers and teaching have told us the need to let go of our ego-centered way of life. Until we do this, we will never create a truly new earth. Until we are willing to surrender the personal self to a higher power, We will continue to recreate different versions of the old world of the old earth. Yet the old earth that we have created is not a bad world. What we have done is right, perhaps perfect. But what is needed to be done, like adolescence, we have flexed our muscles and experienced our sense of independence. Now is time for us to become spiritual adults. It is time for us to create the new earth. Having moved from victim to victor, it is time for us to become vehicles for the power. As vehicles for the creator's power, we see ourselves as instruments operating on behalf of a higher power. Still, this instrument, this vehicle is far from passive or powerless. We as agents of the creator have no limits to our power and we disconnected from the divine have no power whatsoever in truth no existence whatsoever as vehicles we acknowledge the omnipotence of god and the supremacy of god's will as did our medieval brothers and sisters at the same time we can see that pico dea mirandola that we may have and possess according to our desire and judgment what Place, whatever form, whatever function we shall desire. Our work in the new earth is to integrate and transform the previous stages of evolution and thus to experience and express the unlimited power that is who and what we are when we are consciously returned to the Creator and His will. We express our greatest power not by exercising our personal willpower, but by surrendering to a power greater than ourselves. This power is referenced by many names throughout the world, the will of God, the will of Allah, the Tao, the Dharma, but always the meaning is essentially the same. As we let go of our egocentric desires and surrender to this divine will, we find that we begin to change in a way not possible through personal effort alone. Not only do we change But our world changes as well. As we learn to conquer ourselves, we become a vehicle for the unlimited power of the universe to flow through us. An example of a man who was such a vehicle is Mahatma Gandhi, who freed his homeland of two centuries of foreign rule without firing a shot. Gandhi writes, There comes a time when an individual becomes irresistible and his action becomes all-pervasive in its effects. This comes when he reduces himself to zero. Gandhi personified one who surrendered himself to the divine will and this power was virtually irresistible. Surrendering to the flow of life, the divine plan, we eventually find a new source of power. Gradually, we begin to see that we are not living our life, but rather that our life is being lived through us. Life then takes on a flow, a rhythm, a synchronicity. With little effort, much is accomplished. Some would describe this as living in the Tao, for in the Tao Te Ching, it is written The Tao of heaven does not strive, and yet it overcomes. It does not speak, and yet is answered. It does not ask yet is supplied with all its needs. It seems at ease, and yet it follows a plan. What is the plan that it follows? We could call it a divine plan, or we could call it an evolutionary imperative, which is essentially the same thing. It is the plan to which Teilhard referred when he envisioned evolution as the movement toward conscious oneness with God we best prepare ourselves for this next step in our evolution when we move to the new earth, when we surrender our personal will to the divine will of the social memory complex, when we surrender our limited human power to the unlimited divine power. It's a conscious surrender. Let us remind ourselves that this act of surrender is not only an evolutionary imperative, but may be essential to our survival On this planet We are slowly awakening to the fact That all of humanity is in a sense One body on this planet In a physical body Each organ in the body And each cell in the body Surrenders its will To a greater will Which is the intelligent life force In the body When each organ and each cell Under the direction of the DNA molecule Within the cell Is attuned to this life force The body experiences a state of wholeness. When the organs or the cells are out of attunement with the life force, the body experiences a state of disease. Likewise, our world is in a state of wholeness when all beings in it are attuned to the higher will that is centered within us, just as the DNA molecule is centered within the molecules of each cell conversely our world is in a state of disease when the individuals in it are not attuned to the higher will but only to service of self and meshed in egocentric desire this is the cause of our suffering how does one surrender to the higher will we are so accustomed to living from our personal will that we may feel at first confused by this process we encounter what seems like a dilemma If we try to surrender, we are not surrendering. This is like trying to relax. We don't relax by trying, but by not trying, by letting go of personal effort. Surrender is much the same. We don't do it through effort, but rather by letting go of all personal efforting. Yet our letting go must be deliberate and conscious. We do not surrender by simply becoming unconscious and falling asleep. Perhaps one way to discover What the experience of surrender is lies in looking at what it is not. It is not giving up or quitting. It is not resignation or despair. Surrender is not abdicating responsibility for the way we live our life. Surrender is a conscious giving over of oneself to something greater in service to others. It is living responsibly and skillfully by allowing a higher power to direct the course of our life surrendering to the higher power does not necessarily mean that we sit and wait for god to do something for us or that we always wait for god to tell us what to do we are the god that we are surrendering to we are stuck within these bodies and because of the veil we're only aware of our selfish desires we are actually the higher power we are surrendering to we are not surrendering to another A skillful sailor does not simply hoist the sails and make the wind responsible for directing the boat's course. The sailor uses the wind to power his boat by surrendering to the wind in a skillful way. Likewise, an expert canoeist surrenders her canoe to the flow of the river yet remains alert and responsible for cooperating with that flow. Being surrendered does not mean being a doormat for others to walk upon. We can say and do what is necessary to protect ourselves in the world. Being surrendered is that once we're done with our imagining, we let life unfold. We ask for what we want. We voice our opinion. We declare our word. And then we act when we need to act. But we are not attached to results. Being surrendered means making a conscious choice to live while being constantly guided by the statement, not my will, but thine be done. Not the will of your body within this limited reality that you're in, but the will of you in the outer reality of who you are. It means being in a world in a way in which we speak and act responsibly, but always within the context that thy will be done. Because, Within this world and the veil and our lack of access to intelligent infinity, we know nothing. We have no idea what's going on. We know there's this greater power and that is why we are allowing ourselves to let go. How do we know God's will? If I'm saying that you are God, isn't your will God's will? The truth is we may not always consciously know what the will of the higher creator within us is. We may not hear voices or see signs and wonders telling us what the will of our higher self is, but as we pray for guidance, practice listening in the silence of meditation, and continue to affirm thy will be done, we can be assured that indeed it is being done. Even if, through erroneous perception or poor judgment, we make what seems like mistakes, we will find ourselves living in a state of grace and happiness that somehow brings us back on course. Remember, surrender means that we are not doing the work. It is being done through us. So we're learning about power from our God self, not from our limited individual egocentric self. One way to discover the divine will for your life is to explore your soul's deepest desire, the desire of your heart and lessons in truth. Dr. Emil Cady writes, Desire in the heart is always God tapping at the door of your consciousness. We are here on earth individually and collectively to express God's will. Humanity as a species is part of a divine plan that is seeking expression through the process of evolution. We, as individuals likewise, have divine plans that are unique to each of us. No one can tell us exactly what that plan is. Only we know for it is hidden deep within our hearts. Only through listening to the heart, in meditation, Through the practice of self-awareness, through a commitment to fulfill our destiny, do we discover and fulfill the divine plan of our true self. As we more fully surrender to the will of the Creator, we eventually find that our personal will is in perfect alignment with the greatest good for all life. Ultimately, our will and God's will become as one as we tune into our true self. We find no difference between that which brings us true joy and that which serves the greater good for everyone and everything. Within each soul, a divine plan guides its evolution. Within the collective soul of humanity, a divine plan directs the path of our evolution. The evolutionary design to which Teilhard and Hubbard and others have alluded is a divine, infinite intelligence operating throughout all of creation. The same intelligence that has created the universe, the earth, and the life forms on earth is God's will at work in you right now. The same intelligence which enables me to write and then read these words is that same intelligence within you. It enables you to listen to these words and guide you through the next step of your evolution. Just as a skillful canoeist aligns the canoe with the swiftest flow in the river, as we live centered within this universal will of the Creator, we are aligning ourselves with a divine plan as it continuously flows and unfolds and through each of us. When we choose to serve others, we tune into that flow. When we are spiritually asleep, when we are willful, when we are motivated by fear and anger, when we are moving against the flow, caught in a back eddy stuck in our own sense of separateness as we let go as we pay attention to the prompting of our soul and as we trust the divine planet work in our life we move into harmony with the spirit of evolution that inexorably carries us collectively and individually forward into the next stage of the process leading to omega conscious oneness with god we see that our present crisis with all its dangers carries with it an unprecedented opportunity building upon thousands of years of our history and millions of years of evolution we now stand poised on the threshold of a quantum leap in consciousness with new technologies like artificial intelligence quantum computing so many other things an essential part of this readiness lies in mastering our use of the power that we have been given and that we will be given with new technologies. Only when we are ready to fulfill our potential for a greater power, the key to mastering our use of power lies in surrendering our personal, ego-centered power to a higher power to become individually and collectively a vehicle for the only power in the universe, God, the Good, the Omnipotent, the Creator. This is the power that needs to shift. We have immense power now, and you can find all kinds of power for yourself. I promise. But your true power lies when you begin to serve others and choose to let go of your ego. That is the true power shift. You can find all episodes of The Reality Revolution at therealityrevolution.com and welcome. Welcome to the reality of revolution.